Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Fin Weekly, where I provide weekly updates on what's happening in the world of finance and the economy. My name is Steve Coffrin, and today is Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. And we have a lot to talk about, so let's go ahead and dive right in. First up this week, we learned that economic experts from Goldman Sachs are predicting a series of interest rate reductions from the Fed. And while that may sound like good news, the reality is that these reductions most likely won't kick off until the second quarter of 2024. The idea here is to bring things back to normal, meaning normalize the funds rate once inflation gets closer to the target level that the Fed has in mind. So these potential rate cuts are seen as steps towards that normalization process. At this moment, the plan is to aim to reduce interest rates by 25 basis points per quarter. But there's a catch because the economists themselves admit that they're not so sure about the exact pace of these cuts. So there's still some uncertainty in that regard. Looking at the bigger picture though, recent data shows that US inflation hasn't been surging as fast as expected, which is good news. In fact, the core consumer price index, which leaves out energy and food costs, has been ticking up at an annual rate of 4.7%, which is lower than before. Now remember, this comes after the Federal Reserve has been gradually increasing their target rate starting back in March of 2022. In fact, they managed to bring that benchmark range to somewhere between 5.25 and 5.5%. Goldman Sachs economists are suggesting that eventually down the line, the funds rate will find its balance somewhere in the range of 3 to 3.25%. It's all part of a highly sensitive financial dance though, and the world is watching to see how things like inflation, interest rates, and economic instability will affect them in the near and long term. Next up, Tesla has the world's attention yet again thanks to a major decision to cut their prices in the Chinese market. As you may have expected, this has caused significant ripples across the auto industry. In addition to marking down certain model prices by as much as $2,000, they're also making moves to incentivize buyers through insurance subsidies. The bigger question with regards to these strategic moves is whether these price cuts could revive an international price war. There is talk that the US and Europe will see similar cuts, but if you think like me, you could probably bet that a move like that would hurt Tesla's profit margin next quarter. Interestingly, This round of price reductions isn't happening in isolation. Other manufacturers have also made moves to cut their own prices earlier this month by up to $6,000 in some cases. Now, it's worth remembering that Tesla had ignited this price war in the first place, kicking off with a series of price cuts late last year. These cuts made some of Tesla's models almost 50% more affordable in China compared to their prices in the US and Europe. The market response to Tesla's move has been noteworthy. Tesla's stock dipped by 2.4% during early New York trading, and China's top selling automaker, BYD, also experienced a significant drop of 6.2% in Hong Kong. And of course, the other big question here is why? Well, price competition has consistently been a driving force in China's auto market. We know that July was a slower month for Tesla's order intake and that the company didn't have as much in the way of new models to entice buyers. So this might have been a push to maintain sales momentum. 
As for the company's CEO, Elon Musk announced last month that the company might continue reducing prices if interest rates continue to rise. The company's gross profit margin also hit a four-year low during the second quarter, so it will be interesting to watch and see how this all evolves. And in other news, U.S. Steel Corp's shares experienced a significant surge in pre-market trading after the company turned down a takeover proposal from rival steelmaker Cleveland Cliffs. The offer they rejected included aims to combine the two firms into one of the world's largest steel producers. But instead of accepting the bid, U.S. Steel opted to initiate a review of its own strategic options. Cliff, who valued U.S. Steel at approximately $7.25 billion, representing a substantial 43% premium over the steelmaker's previous closing price, said that they thought the rejection, quote, was unreasonable. Here's the thing, though. The implications of this tussle goes beyond the immediate situation. If successful, a deal between the two companies would position Cliffs as a major player in global steel production, with a significant foothold in the U.S. auto industry and ownership of domestic iron ore reserves. Basically, this would be an enormous power shift, especially since Cliffs has already expanded its influence through acquisitions with AK Steel and European steel giant ArcelorMittal. What we do know is that on Monday, two days ago, U.S. Steel received a second rival bid of $7.8 billion from Smark, a privately held family company with roots in the steel industry, who offered to buy the company outright for $35 a share. That's even higher than the valuation of the company after a 37% spike in share price after their largest one-day gain on record. But the question is, will they accept this offer? Well, U.S. Steel has a different vision as they're shifting to move to more efficient, modern, and advanced steel-making techniques. Despite all of this back and forth, Smark CEO said that they have the cash on hand, while Cliff CEO expressed optimism about the potential for a merger between the two American steel giants. So we'll be keeping a close eye on how things evolve and whether or not they will be able to strike a deal with someone while the iron is hot, so to speak. As for your scoop of international news, the Russian ruble has fallen to less than 100 to the U.S. dollar for the first time since March of 2022, thought to be due to the ongoing conflict with Ukraine and the international sanctions. Despite the central bank's attempt to stabilize it by pushing pause on foreign currency purchases until the end of this year, the ruble's value dropped by 1.5% this week. Now, this may not sound like a lot, but just consider the fact that this year, the ruble has depreciated by 26%, making it one of the weakest performers among emerging markets. Russia's economy has been challenged by a persistent budget deficit caused by shrinking export revenues and limited access to global financial markets. In addition, declining earnings from Russian oil and gas exports down to $6.9 billion in July, from almost triple that $16.8 billion a year earlier, have also contributed to the ruble's weakening. So you may be wondering what's going to be done about all this? Well, despite Russia's central bank saying on Monday that there are no immediate risks to Russia's overall financial stability, they unexpectedly increased their rates from 8.5% to a whopping 12% just the other day the sharpest increase since the invasion of Ukraine last March. 
Despite seeing some recovery thanks to these efforts, the currency is still among the three worst performers in developing economies this year with a loss of about 25%. Moving on, China spurred contagion fears this week after Zongzi Enterprise Group missed their payments on several high-yield investment products. The company has significant influence in China's $2.9 trillion trust industry, blending banking, private equity, and wealth management. Corporate clients' overdue payments linked to Zongzi's trust unit has prompted a regulatory task force. But as with most things, this isn't happening in a vacuum. The Zongzi issues coincide with China's larger economic worries, including a near default by country holding a major developer and a significant drop in loan demand. On their own, these things might not sound serious, but together they spell bad news for China's stock market and in particular, their real estate financing. Zongzi's predicament also highlights broader challenges in China's shadow banking. The mispayments reveal real estate liquidity's domino effect on sectors like trust and China's property sector slump will impact developers and cash flow in those sectors as well. Their government's response in isolating Zongzi's risks while preserving trust sector confidence is pivotal in stabilizing its financial ecosystem. And last but not least, it looks like investors are changing their tune when it comes to how they feel about the stock market. That's according to a survey conducted by the Bank of America where 211 fund managers said that they were feeling increasingly positive about where the markets are headed. Despite a 0.6% drop in the S&P 500 index the other day, it's crucial to recognize that it has almost risen by 26% from October's lows. Driven by expectations of stable interest rates and stronger growth than anticipated, investors are increasingly convinced that inflation will ease in the next 12 months. And remember, we saw something similar to that confidence in November of 2008. And if we're letting history be our guide, this type of optimism may be suggesting rate cuts also in the next year. In terms of asset allocation, it seems like investors are boosting holdings in technology, energy, and banks while trimming exposure to industrials, discretionary, and utilities. Remarkably though, it's fund managers who have the largest overweight position in tech since December of 2021. Keep in mind though that extreme positions like that usually indicate that not many people are able to buy, potentially signaling a bit of selling pressure. And on a similar note, the survey found that investors aren't keeping a historically high level of assets and cash anymore. In particular, cash levels have dropped from 5.3% to 4.8%, which may seem modest, but that's actually the lowest it's been in 21 months. Still, that tells me that less uninvested cash is just sitting on the sidelines, or it may mean that people are using up their cash just to survive these tough economic times. The results highlight a nuanced shift in sentiment, likely driven by a mix of growth prospects, inflation concerns, and activity in the broader global economy. So there you have it. That's a wrap for Fin Weekly this week. If you are listening to the audio version of this, or if you're watching this video on YouTube, be sure to download our free app called Boosting Your Financial IQ. 
on that app, we have tons of great resources to help you to boost your financial intelligence, especially when it comes to the macro economy and the world of business. We have six levels, level 1.0 all the way to level 6.0 that will take you from a learner to a strategic financial pro. So be sure to check out that app. You can download that in the Apple app or Google Play Store. In the meantime, keep on learning, keep on working hard and be ambitious. The future is bright and there are tons of opportunities, but you have to have the strategic and financial intelligence required in order to capture these opportunities that will be coming your way. Okay, that's a wrap. Have a great week and until next time, take care of yourself. Cheers. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play App Store today. Thanks again. 